Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're well. I hope you're in good spirits. It's always an honor and a privilege to come and share God's word with you. And I said to Carol, I said, you know, she asked me if I get nervous before I come on the platform. I said, no, because it's not a performance. I'm not up here to perform. I'm up here to share my life with you in that sense. So it's always great to be here. As you know, some of the team are away, and I think we've got the, is it the potential church planters weekend going on at the moment, and Chris and Fliss are there, and other people in other places. But the most important thing is we're here, and God is in the house. Amen. Now we're going to continue our series on making prayer count. If Mark Helbradgen was here, he wanted to call it prevailing prayer, but we said, look, man, we have to bring this into the 21st century. We have to, we have to make it connectable. And I knew where he was coming from. So <laughs> making prayer count. Now, last, were you, if, if you were, here, were you here last week? Yeah. Good. And those of you who weren't, where were you? <laughs> Chris did a tremendous job of opening up the series to us and he talked about prevailing prayer in the sense of praying things through and gave examples from his own life which were just great stories in their own right and if you missed that then you make sure you listen to the podcast. Now then, today we're going to look at an ingredient or a catalyst which works in us as we pray. So that when we pray, we pray with, the title of this sermon, pray with expectation, grow as we wait for him to fulfill the promise and receive the promise once it has been fulfilled. So to title today, pray with expectation. Now, the ingredient that helps us in prayer, in fact, the writer to the Hebrews said this, that Without this ingredient, it is impossible to please God. What is the ingredient, people? Oh, you're good. Oh, this is good. I've come to the right place, yeah? (laughs) It's faith, of course. Faith is the ingredient that makes our prayer effective. So then, as the writer to Hebrews said, we have to say the writer to Hebrews because there is some debate as to who, whether Paul wrote it or whoever writes it. So we always say, for safety, the writer to the Hebrews. Now, he said this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. As we earnestly seek him, we will discover that faith works in us as we pray with expectation. And as we grow, the process of faith works in our lives to prepare us to receive the promise. Which, and the funny thing is that when God gives us a promise, when he gives us something that we need to pray for and he gives us faith for it, he put it there in the first place. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at faith as it grew in one of my favorite characters from the Bible, Abraham. So come with me. First, we get in Romans a kind of a synopsis of Abraham's faith. One of my favorite verses, I must admit. Maybe it's because when I was growing up, I heard Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preach on this approach. Some of you don't know who he is. Some of you immediately know my background. (laughs) Yeah, Baptist, evangelical, (laughs) right? However, we read in Romans 4, 19 to 21. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, 
and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now, this is, this is a wonderful synopsis of Abraham's life, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at it a little bit more closely. But here's the point. In the Greek, that word for strengthens, to become inwardly powerful, that's what it actually means. So it's not that Abraham, when God gave him the promise, had it all together. There was a process that he went through that when God gave him the promises, as we'll see in Genesis 15, and he grew strong in faith. So by the time we get to Genesis 21, 22, he's a different person. So one of the things we're gonna discover this morning as we pray with expectation is that God is working in us as we pray and he's working out his purpose through us as, he pray, as we pray. So come with me now to Genesis 15, one to six, the promise that God gave to Abraham. After this word, the word of God came to Abraham in a vision. Now, if you, the parenthesis here, what had happened, there were some people had come and taken this cut lot and he went with his army and his trained men and they got Lot back, etc. So that's what it means after this word. So after this word, the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed in the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. So there's the promise. He's got no heir, he's got no kids, and God says, I'm gonna give you a son. So he gives him the promise, so there's an expectation in Abraham's heart. There's a, an excitement that God is gonna do something for him. Now, you know, this is how it starts with us. You, what, how, I, I speak about my own life, but I'm reading the scriptures, I'm concerned about certain things, and then God gives me a verse. First thing he says to me, Proverbs 3, 5, he says, don't trust in your own understanding. I'll give you the background. About four or five years ago, unfortunately, I was dismissed from my job. It wasn't very nice, it was uncomfortable, it was horrible. However, God spoke to me very plainly. He said, Proverbs 3, 5, he says, don't trust in me with all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding. We all know the verse, see? And so my natural inclination now was to get busy and start to find things. You know, my wife is saying to me, the bills will be coming in, blah, blah, blah. Hello? Right? So, but the Lord says, no, trust me, I'm gonna do something new. So there's excitement on one side, but there's kind of angst on the other. 
not very good thing to have together. Or let me change it. God speaks to you very plainly that you should leave the position that you're in. And I was talking to someone who's doing that at the moment. And you resign from the job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? You resign from the job. So there's that sense of expectation, anticipation, and a little angst. So there's the promise that God is going to do something new or God is going to open up a new way. Now then, I can also remember in the life of this church, before we were in these rather salubrious surroundings, we used to be nomads, is that right, Linda? Across St. Albans. I think we were at Stags, then we were at Marlborough School. And then God gave us a word that he would give us a home of our own. We called it the home of our own campaign. And he gave us a scripture, I think it's down in Chronicles somewhere, I couldn't find it. So there was expectation, there was excitement. But it hadn't happened yet. And you'll find that when God gives you a promise, you will have excitement. You will have expectation. But the promise hasn't actually happened yet. What you actually find is that God starts to kick off what we call the process. He starts a process to prepare you for the promise. And as a church, when we were praying for the home of our own, which you're in, God started to work a process in us. He started to prepare us as a community. He started to work in us. Now, if we look at Abraham, we see that after some time, some years now, the promise hadn't come to pass. So let's look at Genesis 16 and 1 to 4, the process. Now Sarai, Abraham's, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had a wonderful idea. She said, I have an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. It's amazing that, you know, how religious we can get at these key moments. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now this is a moment of truth. Because Abraham, either he has to believe God for the promise or listen to the voice of his wife. Now we know what he did, but it was a moment of truth. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. He must have looked at Hagar and thought, hmm, yes, okay, I think I can go with this. Yeah? yeah, I'm getting you into the text now, you see. Because, you see, we tend to read the text to kind of blank out those bits. <laughs> but he, looked, he kind of looked at Hagar, looked at Sarah, and thought, oh, okay, I think I can go with this. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and lo and behold, she conceived. Now, one of the challenges with polygamous families is that jealousies arise between the, the wives. Now you can imagine, Sarah thought it was a good idea, but maybe she didn't think she was going to get pregnant that quick. And of course her attitude changed, because it says here, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. You know, I'm pregnant, you're not. <laughs> That's basically what was going on there. Now, what Sarah proposed 
was reasonable, was plausible, and it was logical. However, it was not God's best. Now friends, here's the interesting thing. God will put a promise in your lap. And it may not come to pass instantly. And you and I may be tempted to make, give God a hand. And we might do things that are reasonable. Things that are plausible. Please, things that are logical. But it's not God's best for us. Now, I don't know. But maybe... We're blessed in this church with some you know, wonderful young women who are looking, to, obviously, to, to what well, some of them are, to, to marry. Now, maybe God has given you a promise he's going to bring that man into your midst, right? And it hasn't happened yet. And here's the temptation for you. The temptation is to compromise and think, well, you know, he's such a nice guy. You know, he, he, he doesn't come to church, but he's nice. You know, and maybe this is the right person. But you see, here's the point. If it's from God, that's great. But if it's not, it may not be God's best for you. It may be plausible. It may be reasonable. It may be logical, but it may not be God's best for you. And one of the things I would pray for you is that you you settle for God's best, not for something less than the best. You see, what Abraham did in listening to his wife, he settled for less than the best. You see, what needs to happen is this. Just because something has, God has said to us has not come to pass, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Because he's working together for good within your life as he prepares you for the promise. I'm going to cut to this. One of the things that blesses me about Abraham was that when he finally got the son of promise, which was Isaac, Isaac did not become an idol. You say, how do you know this? Well, read Genesis 22, because God says, now take your son, your only begotten son, and sacrifice him. And you know what it reads? When you read the text, it says that Abraham got up early and took his son. What it's telling you is that the promise did not become an idol. And sometimes what happens in our hearts is the thing that we've been wanting and praying for, God knows if he gives gives it to us too soon, it will become an idol. I didn't want to get to that point, but I've got to it now. (laughs) So for some of us, we're praying for stuff and God just knows that it will become like a bronze servant. The very thing that God used to heal the people when they were in the, the, the wilderness becomes an idol. He wants to work in us so that the thing that we're praying for doesn't destroy us. Anyway, here's the point. Faith is having unshakable confidence in something God has said even though it has not yet come to pass. What are you waiting for? What is it that God has put in your heart and it's not yet come to pass? Faith is the ability to have unshakable confidence in something God has said, even though your circumstances and your situation does not confirm that it's going to happen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. I will believe it when I see it. Well, actually, you see it 
first in your heart and your mind before you see it in reality. Explanation. Anything that we do is designed first. There's what we call a first creation. This service. We and the team will sit down and we will you know, have an idea as to what will happen and who will do what. So there's a first creation before it happens. Anything that you do in your life, you think about it first. In fact, we read in Romans 4, 17 that God, he brings into being the things that are not, although they already exist. In other words, he has it in his mind first before he makes it a reality. So faith is when God gives you something in your heart, it has not become a reality yet. This building was not a reality when we had a home of our own. But then we had, but over a period of time, God gave us unshakable faith that this would become a reality. And what I would encourage you for, those of you, you know, you look at a husband, you look at a wife, or whatever, first, fall in love with Jesus and then trust him to do the rest. Well, the result of Abraham listening to his wife was there were, not that it's a bad thing, forgive me, <laughs> I'll just get that in there, but he listened to Sarai, yeah, because you know, sometimes we as gentlemen, we get into much trouble because we do not, <laughs> right? It's a bit of reality coming in there. But at the end, because of this, there was 13 years where God never spoke to Abraham. We pick it up in Genesis 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, and by the way, he was 86 when he took Hagar under his wing. Yeah? Metaphorically speaking, right? So it's 99. He's 99 now, and we get to Genesis 17, and it says this. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. There's a challenge in that. In other words, he's saying, look, walk with integrity. Or as someone else put it, pull your socks up. <laughs> walk with integrity. And then... I will make my covenant between me and you and you will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and said to him, why did he? Because you see, God was coming back to reaffirm the promise to him. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. You see, he messed up badly. And you may have messed up badly, but it doesn't matter. Whatever the promises God has given to you, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. It doesn't matter if you mess up. If God has determined to bless you and bring to pass something in your life that has not come to pass, he will do it even if you mess up. Oh. We may produce some Ishmaels as we go through the process. However, God is bigger than any mistakes that you make. 
Some of you have produced Ishmael's, you know this. But the point is this, God is bigger than that. It doesn't disqualify you. God is faithful to his promise to Abraham. God not only reiterates the promise, but changes Abraham's name from exalted father to father of a multitude. You know what, when you started out, when God gave you that promise, you were A, you were in terms of your character, but by the time God had finished with you, you were a different person because of the work of the Holy Spirit as he began to work character in you, as you went through change, as you went through challenge, as you overcame problems. Yes, you may have fell back, but God's trajectory was to move you towards him so that when you get the promise, you're different. In some cases, you have a new name than when you started out. You see, when you begin to pray into being what God has put in your heart, he is working together for good in your life to change you so that ultimately when he releases the blessing to you, you are able to walk in that blessing. Whatever you were before, The promise is going to be different as faith works in you and you begin to take root downward into God and bear fruit upward to his name and fruit that remains. God wants to work in us as we go through the process so that we become what he has promised. Philippians 1.6, he who began this good work in you We'll complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You see, prayer is wonderful. In teaching, we talk about dual plane learning. You say, well, what is this? Well, when you're you're learning something as a teacher that you know that you're going to teach, two things are going on. You're learning it, and then you're thinking about how you're going to deliver it. So you tend to learn it faster. Well, when you're praying for things, God is working on two planes. Yes, he's working on you, but he's working in you so that ultimately over that period of time, that circuit of days, you become the person he wants to be so you can enter into the blessing and promise that he has for you. Hello? That's the process. As we prevail in prayer, faith is not only being birthed in us, it's also changing us as we, so we can receive the promise. Think of the growing family campaign. Man, when Chris started out, was it, how many was that, 18 months, 15 months, 18 months ago? Or more, maybe more longer than that. We were talking about it long before we actually brought it here to the congregation. But the journey has been a tough one. And what we've realized is that God has been working in us as a church, deepening our faith in him, deepening our walk with him. So it's not just been about the building, it's about, being, about what's going on in us. And that is actually far more beneficial to us than actually the building itself. So then, let's... Think about, oh, I'm doing good this morning. The time is good. Oh, bless. Okay. That's always dangerous because then I get carried away. (laughs) So let's look at how receiving the promise. Now, let's look at Genesis 21. Now, between Genesis 17 and Genesis 21, Abraham, God does stuff in Abraham. Abraham does a few silly things. (laughs) He does it twice, actually. Genesis 12, um, when God gives him a promise. Another little pattern for you. 
you tend to find that if God gives you a promise or he visits you in a particular way, usually on the back of that, you tend to do something, challenges come along. You saw what you mean? Well, in Genesis 12, God says, look, he gives you what we call the theocratic blessing. If anybody blesses you, will bless you. If everybody curses you, will curse you. I'm gonna, it's the, the first theocratic blessing, which is not dependent on Abraham doing the business. It's God said, I'm gonna bless you even if you mess up, basically. But anyway, the famine comes in the land and he goes down to Egypt and he goes, when he gets down to Egypt, he says to his wife, Sarah, you are beautiful and they will kill you, kill me because of you, so say that you are my sister. And he goes down there and Pharaoh wants to take him into the heart, take Sarah into the harem and God comes to Pharaoh in the night and says to him, if you touch this woman, you're dead. And then Pharaoh says, why have you done this to me? Take your wife, here, sheep and goats and go. Yeah, yeah, that was Jamaican. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> that was. But he does it again. Between 17 and 21, Abumalek, he does the same thing again. He doesn't trust God. And why am I telling you that? What I'm telling you is that it's not about perfection. You, you, you're going to fail. You're going to have, you're going to make mistakes. So, you see, one of the problems we have, particularly those of us who come from kind of evangelical backgrounds, etc., we think it's about keeping the rules. We think we, we are like the elder brother in the Samaritan story. We've always done it right. We've always turned up for all the meetings. We're always at the prayer meeting. We all do, we do all the right things. All right, and what, you know, if you want to know if you're an elder brother, here's the test. When a prodigal comes along, you get into judgmental mode. <laughs> Look at him. He has been with women, he has been spending money, and look how the Lord has blessed him, and I have been here faithful, serving the Lord, doing all these things, blah, blah, blah. Yes, elder brother. Elder brother. You see, it's not about keeping the rules. Do you think Jesus just died on the cross so that you could keep the rules? No, man. He did that for us. Oh, man, I'm going to get into another preach here. I mustn't do this. <laughs> mustn't do this. Right? It's about, <laughs> Richard, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> but the thing is this, that it's, it's about a relationship with Jesus where even if you make mistakes, it's not over. And in fact, when you fail, when your, I use the word sin, but when your stuff comes up, it's actually a signpost to God wanting to go deeper into your life and you learn to trust God with your stuff and you come to him and say, Father, why am I doing this? What's going on in my life? And then the Holy Spirit comes and if, you've, if you are in a relationship, i.e. you're in a connect group or you're in a triplet, then you can work through the stuff with them. So you can get to the next level. It's not just about keeping the rules, friends. So Abraham messed up quite a few times, but it didn't mean that God said, that's it, bye-bye, kicked into touch. And some of you like that. You think that, oh, well, you know, <laughs> I have and, and you think God's just going to kick you into touch. No, the failure is part of the process. Yeah. The failure is part of the process. The other thing we have to learn to do is run to the community, not away from it. Unpack, Okay. All that means is that our natural inclination when we do stuff wrong, when we sin, is that you don't want to meet your brother or sister down the street. You don't want to come to church. You want to stay home and just stay away. Or stuff's going on in your life, you don't want to share it with anybody. Well, actually, God's intention is for you to run to the community, providing the community is a safe place. 
and there are safe people within it, you run with your stuff and you get prayer. Our natural inclinations because of the fall is to run away, to hide. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, the last person you want to meet when you know you're, in, you're not in a good place is your pastor. <laughs> and I'm talking Linda here. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. It's true, because we find it difficult to be self-revealing and vulnerable, don't we? But you see, actually, it's the antithesis. The very fact that we run towards the light, then God can start to work in us. So the reality is the process is a good thing. And to be in a church like this where we're, we, we aim always to be non-judgmental, we aim always to be loving and kind, we always aim, yes, to speak the truth in love, but the whole, the whole idea is that you can have your stuff dealt with so that God can begin to work in you and you can be and do what God has called you to be and do. And as you begin to pray through stuff, you see, what you need to do, when you do stuff that you shouldn't, right? When you sin, when you, that call it stuff, but sin. Your natural inclination is to make confession to God, which is right, 1 John 1, 9. But the next step is to ask God, why did that happen? What was going on? And get with someone who knows you, as I was saying to someone the other day, those are good you and the bad you, right? And work through it. Find out what it is that God is trying to say, because he's always wanting to go deeper. All right, better move on before I get in more trouble. Okay. So, receiving the promises, the promise. Having been through the process, we now get to the birth of Isaac. Genesis 21, 1 to 6. Come with me now. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he said. And the Lord did for Sarah what had, he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah to, to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, "God has brought me laughter." That's what Isaac means. And everyone who hears about it will laugh with me. And she added, "Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children?" Yet, I have borne him a son in his old age. <laughs> now, here's something for you. Abraham and Sarah had to exercise their faith. Oh, some of you not understand. You see, there was no IVF. And, and if you read the book, Sarah's laughing says, in, when they, they come on, these people come along to say, well, you're going to have a baby, Sarah's kind of laughing. And this is what she says, am I to know pleasure with my Lord, even though he being old? <laughs> right? That's what the text said. It's in, it's in there. I'm not, it's there. So they had to go to bed. And in faith, they had to believe that this, the activity that they were going to part, take part in would actually produce a child. And... Let me just say something. If you read the text, it's obvious to me that Sarah was not wrinkly. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, when she went down to Egypt, the Pharaoh fancied her. When she went to Abumelech, he fancied her. So obviously, 90 back then was different from 90 now. <laughs> yeah? 
I mean, there wasn't oil of Yule. <laughs> it was true, it? I mean, she must have been a babe, even though she was 90. Yeah, you read the text, you see the text, because two kings fancied her and wanted to take her into the hurry. So I don't think it was like, well, here we go, baby. Yeah, I, don't think, <laughs> I don't think so. I think that they were in good shape. Now, the text, I have to, I'm stretching the text, because if you read what, what Romans said, Romans says, when Abraham considered his body and the deadness of Sarah's womb, so there's another cut to balance the thing. But I realized, you know, I thought they had to exercise their faith. You know, either God is God or not. So they said, okay, let's do this thing. <laughs> right? And they exercised their faith. I've, met, I've worked that passage and I need to move on. <laughs> they both became fully persuaded over a period of time that God had the power to perform what it was promised. And you see, what God is doing in us over a period of time is helping us to come to that place that whatever he has promised for us, he's going to do. And there comes a point as you are praying, as you are seeking God, that God works in you and you realize he's done it. I remember it fully well. I got to like, God gave me a scripture, I think Isaiah 37. Uh Uh-huh, yes. You should eat what comes, 2 Kings 19.30. And the background is Hezekiah, and he's under siege, and the God says to him, look, through Isaiah, I'm going to give you what, eat. you're going to eat what comes to the same, and the next year what comes to that, and then you're going to plant vineyards and grow. And we got to the, kind of like the third year that I've been, as it were, f- free from the college, and things were not looking good. It's the January, and things are rude and beer. And Eileen is looking at me and saying, the bank account is dry. So I'm saying, Lord, you said. And I remember it distinctly. Guy I used to do some work for rang me up and said, would you like to go and do some training for me? I said, yes, super. I said, well, actually, what I said is, okay, hold on. Let me just check my diary. <laughs> right? Then another company came in for me. And that was 2012. I remember it distinctly. Because, well, 2011. By the, year two, by the end of 2011 to 12, God not only just filled up my diary, but I also became a chaplain of the YMCA, and we went from what was what seemed to be a famine to feast. But there was a process because God was working in me. He was getting rid of stuff. The trauma of, of the loss of job caused me to come to God and God was able to do some stuff until he was ready to release to me that which he'd promised to me. And all I'm saying to you is this, that God will be working in you and he'll be sorting out stuff until you're positioned so he can release to you whatever he has promised to you. Yes? So then. Oh, we were doing good, now we're in trouble. Okay. (laughs) They became fully persuaded. And as they went through the process, they became inwardly powerful. And went from weakness to strength. God's plan is to make you inwardly powerful through the things that you go through. So you learn to trust him at a different level and in a different way. So how can we make faith count? And I'm bringing it home now, so band come please. Hello, hello. <laughs> Here's the three points. Firstly, I want you, we need to learn how can we make faith count. First, pray with expectation. He will, he will 
reward those who diligently seek him. Pray with expectation. Here's the other thing you need to do as we make prayer count. Commit to the process. Commit to the process. Look, the minute God gives you a promise, commit to the process because he's not going to just going to... People just think that when you come to God, or you ask, you pray, and he answers instantly. He don't do that. He does do that. But generally, he's more concerned about what's going on in you than what's happening to you. And he wants to, to work in you. His character, his love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He wants to work in you. He wants to heal you up as stuff. So by the time that you get to that place where you enter into the promise, you are prepared. And finally, commit to change. Please stand. Commit to change. Commit to change. Commit to the fact that if God is, you are praying and God is working in you, that commit to the process and commit to the fact that change is going to take place. He who began this good work in you, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And one of the instruments he uses is prayer. And as we pray with expectation, as we pray with faith, God will begin to work together to good in our lives and he will bring to pass every good word that he has spoken into your life. Because he's not a man, he doesn't lie. He's faithful. Would you commit to the process? Will you commit to change? Will you pray with expectation? Let's pray together. Father, we as your people, as your family, we know that you've been working together for good within our lives. And Lord, you've given us great and wonderful promises. And Lord, as we come before you as your people, we commit to the process. We commit to change, that you would work together for good within our lives. So that, Lord, when you bless us with those great and mighty promises, we may be able to walk in them and honor your name. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us and you are for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.